0: All right, good morning, listeners. It's uh, twenty eight minutes to eleven. Welcome to this week's news from the drug war front. My name is Jeff, and uh, my co is Andrew Good morning.
1: Good morning, Jeffrey. Good morning, listeners. Do you know Geoffrey, I remember nineteen seventy six and two uh, X starting. Really, I didn't realize that it was it was that for me recent. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> the second how old oldest. I am, yeah. It, radio. it blows me out to think that I actually was. In Canberra at the time and aware of 2XX starting off. Yeah, so yeah. it's lovely.
0: No, uh, and we've been a part of it for over 20 years, according yeah. to Pete. I thought it was like more like 15, but um, yeah. he assures 20 me years, it so it's lovely. back further. So thanks yeah. to 2XX and thanks to our listeners. And uh,
1: yeah, thanks to Karma, or as it was in those days, Active. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, In its first iteration? Part
0: yeah. of going through, um, I'm a bit of a hoarder. <laughs>
1: <but> yeah, <laughs> some, sometimes
0: it's a good thing. I
1: um, know, oh, I've got all the scripts from the la- from ever since I started. Oh, I've really? got them all at home, yep. Yeah. Well, Which that... is a problem because I'm having an inspection that... soon. I've got to get a mat tidied away.
0: Well, one of the things I did before we left the civic office was try and get at least one copy of every user magazine that, oh, right. that I yeah, yeah. could find. And put in a box, and I think Chris has found it out at the storage place oh, in, in Mitchell's. That's and I, great. i found some more in you know, a bookcase. So
1: all the junk mails and all junk the mails, newer news and, news, and so um, on.
0: Even a couple of Karma ones. Oh Jack great! Back. Um, and I found a couple that were really old, um, back when Jude was coordinator and Pete was policy officer, like way, way back.
1: Wow! Back um, in the early days, like 84. I think, I think it was it
0: more nineties, but still. Oh, I it wasn't. Was it? So
1: it's still early days. Still oh, early okay. days.
0: So, um, no, I think Natasha's right. It's important to you know remember your history.
1: Well, and isn't isn't it true that you know those who forget history are doomed to repeat it? Yes,
0: that, that is so true. Mm. And in fact, on that score, um, probably one of the most important stories that we're covering today is. Um, in relation to the new in uh, our blood drama yes. series that mm. uh, is a 4 partner on the ABC, yes, and uh, Julie Bates, uh, sex worker icon and activist, yeah, um, had a quite a significant role in uh, checking out the early drafts and just making sure it was,
1: you know, of the program, yeah, of yeah. of the program,
0: yeah, um, and I had a text conversation with her last night, and she said. You were there for a lot of it, and you would be able to provide a lot of the context. as to Well, what I done. have
1: only seen two uh, the, the the two episodes that have been on um, on the ABC so far. I didn't haven't seen the other two that are you can get by streaming. Yeah, I stream. Uh, I stream, I, view, I view. I view. Yeah, um, but uh, it seems to me to have been you know a very whitewashed, and so far anyway. I mean, they may well have. I might not have been watching, but it seems like they've focused very heavily on men who have sex with other men, which was certainly where the initiative came from because of the um, the location of uh, the person who was actually instrumental, who sent the very first cable from New York City <laughs> saying, we have to be careful because... yes. IVDU in New York City, 60% of them, and I've said this many times on the show, 60% of injecting drug users oh. in New York City were HIV infected. It
0: was God's plague on gays. right. Payback.
1: And, but at, at, in the beginning, although there were infections amongst gay men, it was, and that was what struck the, re- that was what struck the, um, Principal private secretary, I think he was, to the to health Neil Blue, to yep. the health minister. But the infection rate amongst IVDU was the frightening thing, was because nobody knew mm. injecting drug users. You couldn't pick them oh. except on the streets of New York City.
0: Yeah. Well they went to New York thing. That's right. They went there
1: to look at find
0: um, some answers and came away appalled. That's not what we're gonna do in Australia.
1: No. Well initially they went there to have a look at um, um, treatments, yeah. opioid treatments, replacements for mm-hmm. um, uh, Bob Hawke's daughter.
0: Okay,
1: who was um, renowned yes. up and down the eastern coast of yep. Australia.
0: Remember but when he shed tears on TV about? Yes, that? he yeah. cried. Yes, yeah.
1: because his daughter was had a heroin problem. Yeah, and was having monumental problems. He was having monumental problems trying to get. Her to manage her drug use. Yep. Um, and children. She had children at that stage too, and a partner, and they were both having a it was a dreadful time. And anyway, for he really did, was very physically affected by it, and we saw it on Australia, and that's where people, I think, fell in love with him. Yeah,
0: he showed his really, emotion. Because he Real showed emotion. his
1: emotion. He cried on television. Yep. Who had ever. Can you imagine ScoMo doing that?
0: No.
1: He didn't no. give a.
0: Pull that ukulele and sing some stupid song.
1: Absolutely. Just, you know, there's nothing humane about that man at all. But Bob Hawke was a human. Indeed. And let us know. I mean, it was... Anyway, the, yep. the show itself, as I say, I think it's a bit whitewashed um, and I think it's very centred around men who have sex with men. Um, in fact, the initial um, infection rate was so high amongst injecting drug users, but... Because they weren't identifiable, they focused more on gay men because they thought they could find them on Oxford Street.
0: Yep. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Look, I, I watched
0: all four episodes on IV last night. I just, yeah. um, once I got into it, I really wanted to see it ahead of today's show. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. There is too much of a focus on gay men and references to sex workers and injecting drug users, but more as just a side side, uh, note, which I think does disservice to the comprehensive nature of the federal government's response.
1: There were so many things. I mean, for instance, Jude was the first person that I remember saying when they were trying to teach us to uh, clean our syringes if we couldn't get new ones... So they had the three by three by three. That's if right. you remember, yeah, I do. you know, three times with water, three times with bleach, bleach. three times with water. water, and that was how you cleaned your syringes to make sure they were mm-hmm. um, HIV free. And Jude said, "Well, has anybody tested that? Nobody'd ever asked that." Yeah. And in fact, I was at the meeting where the professor pulled that out of his hat so to speak. There were other places he could have pulled it out from, but I'll say had, um, and just suggested that the... And that was taken as fact because mm-hmm. he had said it.
0: I think we'll have a lot to discuss when we get to the oh, article. Oh,
1: indeed, yeah.
0: But anyway, welcome uh, listeners to this week's edition of News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimization and Advocacy and The Connection, which is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for First Nations clients. Um... News from the Drug War Front promotes the broad array of services provided by Karma and we also draw on stories relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and around the world and hopefully promote uh, discussion and education about the need for some different approaches to dealing with the harms caused by problematic drug use in a world of prohibition, which is over five decades old in the yes. modern era.
1: Not as old as may, but it might as well have been. Yeah? Yeah. Yes, so at Karma, um, we believe that people who use drugs should be treated with dignity and respect, both as human beings and as consumer of health and social services, and we should treat ourselves with respect, because that's one of the most important things. If we do not respect ourselves and each other, nobody else, we can't expect anybody else to either. Um, karma provides a range of services and and regular listeners to the show will know that so there's a peer treatment support program the connections first nations program the naloxone program so there's a training program on how to use naloxone which is the opioid reversal for opioid overdose reversal drug uh karma's community development and mentoring program the fixed peer education program this radio show of course uh, the Reach Teach Treat with uh, Hepatitis C Peer Education Treatment Project in partnership with Hepatitis C A- Hepatitis ACT and the Karma Primary Healthcare Clinic. Uh, the Karma Clinic is an in reach partnership with Directions Health Services and provides an on site doctor and nurse at Karma Community Centre. They do. General practitioner work, pharmacotherapy provision, including methadone, suboxone, and Buvidal, which is a depot buprenorphine. Yep. Um, I want to remind listeners importantly that this week on Friday, the second Jude Byrne Memorial Women's Support Group commences. Um, please ring Karma on 6253 3643 and speak to Monica or Michelle about participating. Please get in contact with Monica or Michelle first, because you need to make sure that you are suitable for the program and the program is suitable for you. Yeah, it's uh, important because if it's not suitable for you or you're not suitable for it, you need to find out before you turn up and waste your time. Yeah, it's highly personalised. It's very mm. important. Yeah, well, it's very. Um, it's a very important program for those people who have lost or had problems with um children's health service children's services through the act government and the experiences that women have had through that so but please get in touch with monica or michelle again that number is 6253 3643 and it'll probably be held at the karma and connection where where karma and the connection are co-located at the Bill and churches center shop 17 level 154 benjamin way the drop-in hours by the way are 10 a.m to 4 p.m monday to friday and contact can be made on that phone number i gave you six two five three three six four three, or by emailing karma at info at au. beautiful okay uh
0: the news from the Drug War Front reports and news stories relevant to illicit drug users from around Australia and also around the world. Many of the articles that we feature come from other sources, including mainstream media. The contents of this news from the Drug War Front broadcast slash podcast does not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Karma and the Connection. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and would, do not promote illegal activity. However, we do recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen Regardless of laws and United Nations conventions. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy, and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person centred, holistic healthcare. Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people, and as time goes on, more and more services are being uh,
1: added to Absolutely. our armoury. Absolutely, and m- particularly harm reduction services, Geoffrey, which is really exciting, the the drug checking program. Fantastic. Which has really taken off in a big way and is so useful. And now Queensland is going to adopt it without any trial because we've tested it. We've trialled it down here in the ACT. There's
0: even debate um, in Tasmania. At this stage oh, that's that fabulous. The government's sort of veering uh, it, towards it, it's no. It's actually but
1: becoming... A more exciting place to be working, mm. Jeff. Um, so many for so many years, it's been very difficult to um, feel enthusiastic, feel as if we were going somewhere and new things were happening. In a long, and long now, haul. Now, all of a sudden—well, not all of a sudden. All of a sudden, after fifty years, <laughs> but things all seem to be happening at once. Yeah, maybe quietly and maybe noisily, yeah. but they're happening, happening. and that's. All we ever wanted was to stimulate debate Indeed. and hopefully change. But what we're getting is debate and change. And yeah. that's great.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, my play a song. This is uh, The Smiths from The World Won't Listen and uh, Shoplifters of the World Unite. Learn to love me,
1: assemble
2: the Now, tomorrow, and List of crime. My only weakness is, well, never mind, never mind. Shut the lifters of the world, unite and take over. Shut the lifters of the world. Tomorrow, I the way My only weakness is a listed crime. But last night, the plan for a future war was all I saw on Channel Four. Sharp lifters of the world, unite and take over. Shop the lifters
3: of
2: the world.
0: All right, that was The Smiths with Shoplifters of the World Unite. Okay, we're going to go straight into this um, uh, story about uh, the series on the ABC, In Our yeah,
3: Blood. In Our
0: Blood, yeah. This is by Paul Gregoire from au, which is a really good site if you want uh, legal developments, articles, news. It's, it's an excellent site. It's entitled In Our Blood, Sex Worker Rights Advocate Julie Bates Reflects on the ABC Miniseries, March the 17th. And there's a... Picture of Julie. Uh, this Sunday night, which was two nights ago, on March the 18th, um, sees the ABC screen in the first episode of its four-part miniseries, In Our Blood, which is a depiction of how the Australian government handled the HIV-AIDS crisis of the 1980s, with the government approach uh, take, taken having been lauded the world over, rightly so. Mm. The series revolves around Bill Botel, then advisor to Australian Federal Health Minister Neil Blewett, Dr Neil Blewett, and it portrays how the crisis affected the LGBTIQ community. Well, not just that; also injecting drug, injecting users, drug users and users, sex, sex workers,
1: workers people, um, and people who had bloodborne product, blood products, haemophiliacs, yeah, the people, blood, blood people with haemophilia. Yeah, <laughs> remember Haemophili- we had to have all the ideological. Oh. Titles like injecting drug users um, or intravenous drug users (IVDU) we, we were called. Anyway, go you on. could think free. of a more complex issue uh, to We hit. went crazy with um, an acronyms. Yeah, you know, IVDU, MWSM. You know, it just was mad. Was sex that? workers were the only ones that didn't bother Yeah, with an acronym that, you know, didn't identify them. Sex so, workers were just sex workers. Came they up were with just good sayings,
0: like, if it's not on, it's not yeah. on.
1: Um,
0: In Our Blood further considers the public panic that came with the onset of the virus and the divisive sentiment propagated by moral crusaders of the time. Indeed, the HIV-AIDS epidemic altered our society as the health of marginalised groups, such as the LGBTIQ community, sex workers and people who use drugs, became of pivotal importance and this opened the way for advocacy and peer-led groups along with support services that now exist.
1: Mm. In her recollection, Julie Bates... AO, provided feedback on the early drafts of the script in our blood. Back in the 1980s, Bates was a key ad- advocate um, in both the sex worker and people who use drug communities. Indeed, Julie was the first manager of ADIC, or today's New South Wales User and AIDS Association, NUA. She was also the initial in-house manager of the Australian Prostitutes Collective, New South Wales, now known as the Sex Work Sex Workers Outreach Project, or SWAP. Bates was awarded the Order of Australia in 2018 for her, quote, distinguished service to community health, particularly through harm reduction programs, peer support and empowerment initiatives for sex workers, people who use drugs and those living with HIV AIDS. A tireless advocate for the rights of those working in the sex industry Julie has further penned a review of In Our Blood and she states that the series, quote, does justice to this history on a number of levels, especially the collaborations in Canberra that led to the bipartisan response, multi-partisan response, I think they probably should say. Sydney criminal lawyers spoke to Julie Bates about her recollections of having lived through the HIV-AIDS crisis, the importance of the input from affected communities during it and what society could learn from those times today the abc miniseries in our blood portrays the australian government's approach to the hiv aids crisis of the 1980s and it's about to premiere this sunday night that's last sunday night Julie, you were involved in the early days of the project. Obviously, this is an interview and have reviewed it prior to airing. So why would you say this miniseries is important? And Julie's response, being mostly a glass half full kind of person, I tend to look for the positive in peoples and things. That's true from what I know of Julie. (laughs) There are clearly some positives in this production and it's important on a number of levels, especially the collaborations in Canberra that led to the bipartisan response uh, that Australia is much lauded for. This includes the the behind-the-scenes conversations across party lines, the safeguarding of the blood supply early research initiatives, the role of affected communities and the ultimate funding of community groups, all leading to our world-renowned successful HIV response. But above all, it keeps the story alive. The next question is, in your review
0: um, of In My Blood, um, what's In Our Blood, isn't it? Yeah, In Our Blood. In My
1: Blood. Yeah, In Our Blood. In Our Blood,
0: yep. Um, You mentioned that... Those who, quote, lived through these distressing times, and you're one of these people. So, what was it like living through this crisis? And Julie replies, This is a seriously difficult question, bringing a seriously mixed bag of emotions and memories flooding in. When thinking about those times, I think firstly of the fear and loathing and ignorance expressed in many quarters of the community, Mm. some of whom should have known better. As, a fr- as my friend and colleague from the day, Nurse Lizzie Griggs, of the famed World First AIDS Bus, sums up so well, quote, I was initially stunned at the public's reaction to AIDS, such ignorance, hatred and fear, people saying shockingly hateful homo- homophobic things. Mm. That made me ever more determined to work in HIV. I wasn't scared and I was happy to be a warm, welcoming face for those communities being vilified. The distress I speak of, caused by fear and loathing and draconian laws, played out in many settings, including in the healthcare sector, which is a shame on them. But Mm. in hospitals, patients' meals were left outside the ward, despite the fact that many were unable to walk, see or get out of bed to collect their meal. Mm. I distinctly remember a call from a distraught friend who eventually died of an AIDS-related causes, of AIDS-related causes, relaying how gutted he was when returning from his lunch break in the public service to find people disinfecting his phone and desk. The word was out that he was HIV positive. Double bagging of people following their death meant significant others could not look upon their loved one to say that last goodbye. Funerals of loved ones sometimes completely sanitised beyond your ability to recognise the person as, quote, the traditional family had created an imagined story neglecting all of the most precious human things about that person. We often say that, don't we? Um, yes,
1: especially with injecting drug users. that they written Never out. acknowledged in any memorial services, yep.
0: Some people will recall attending three or more funerals in a week. Of the treatment generally of people perceived to be vectors of HIV, they were eggs being thrown at sex workers from passing cars, blood red signs painted on the walls of homes of people presumed to be living with HIV, wishing the person to die and a family so vilified due to the positive status of the young daughter that they had to leave Australia.
1: That was of a very young girl too, really a child. Literally a little baby. Terrible things happened. It was dreadful. There was the idea that
0: HIV positive people should be locked away on a deserted island and a sex worker being detained under the Public Health Act for what turned out to be the remainder of her life. Yeah,
1: that was awful. I remember that too, Geoffrey.
0: These are just some of the hurt and damage of the day that activism helped overcome. I also remember the courage and humanity. The fearlessness, fighting and challenging the status quo, of legislative changes, of demonstrations demanding more hospital beds, so people weren't left in corridors, drug trials and the release of new treatments and anti-discrimination protections. Innovation, friendships and alliances never seen before. But if anything characterised those early years, it was the camaraderie. And yes, fun, as my dear Lizzie again so eloquently describes. It was a time of lots of fun and laughs and tears, losing friends and colleagues along the way. It's very hard to describe how can you have so much fun in such a tragic time. But the people living with HIV or AIDS were the ones fighting to have the best life they could. They kept me laughing. Mm. Then to the overwhelming sorrow that still lives within many of us who survived those times. Of witnessing so much suffering, losing friends and partners, patients and colleagues, of caring for people, friends and patients as you watch their lives slipping away in the most horrific of circumstances. Oh,
1: and Geoffrey, that was just horrendous. I recall, you know, people actually committing suicide because their their peers were, were dying at such a rate that there was, uh, I remember one group of men who have sex with men, a particular subgroup who were all friends and so many of them had died that one of them just said, that's it, I don't want any more, no more. That's it. And he killed himself. He'd had enough. He just couldn't watch any more of his friends die. It was so sad and largely... The deaths were in men who have sex with men because the infection rate amongst injecting drug users was so low in Australia. We had managed to keep it low. Hmm. Um, We've got the
0: news coming up in a minute. Yes, I wonder if maybe um,
1: we should finish that after the news. Finish it after the news, yeah. yeah. Look, I
0: do remember um, I did some volunteer work in the early days at the Positive Living Centre, which was in St Kilda in Melbourne, and I must admit I was troubled by the difficulty in... Providing public health information for injectors, given yep. that they were an at-risk group, yep. um, but it was a real struggle to sort of put them not on an even level, but just acknowledged as.
1: It well, you know, as we've said before, it's so hard to, even these days, still to get families to acknowledge that somebody has one of their love their loved ones died from an overdose. Yes. Yes, or that they had a that their drug-using was a factor in their lives um, and that their colleagues or associates were all drug-using people. Um, they're the ones that wanted to come to the funeral but were often not allowed to. Mm. There many funerals many I wasn't times. allowed to attend yeah. because I was a drug user and that meant, yeah, uh, anyway.
0: All right. We'll after return the news, after yeah. the national news. Okay, it's about four minutes after 11 and uh, you're listening to Jeff and Marion from Studio One, Two XX 98.3 FM, People Powered Radio, and we're continuing on with the uh, interview uh, with Julie Bates about the ABC series In Our Blood.
1: Indeed. And it goes on. The uh, next question, you acted as an advisor on the early scripts to the series. What sort of as- aspects of the crisis or scenarios that occurred Did you feel were vital to be included? I wouldn't call myself an advisor. Clearly, I wasn't paid for any of my contributions. That sounds like the ABC, doesn't it? But that has never stopped me from wanting to get the best out of people and projects. It certainly was important that the government response be included, and that it was accurate on the first reading of the scripts of some of the scripts it seemed to me that men in suits were being quite well depicted so i largely focused my attention on my area of expertise the community response from my first contact with the writers i pushed for a more inclusive and respectful depiction of the vital role of affected communities and the early unique and community-based initiatives that the characterisation of the real people who did the heavy lifting was honest and honoured. While disappointed that the broader community response that includes initiatives undertaken by people who use drugs and their allies and other unique world-first initiatives is not included, I was glad to see the writers had at least taken on board my criticism correcting their earlier pejorative representation of sex workers. The sex worker character now comes across as a feisty, smart woman representative of the vital work sex workers were doing in getting condoms into brothels and onto their clients while encouraging better practice from brothel owners and advocating for law reform. It was a major win and that was really important. I remember, um, gosh, I can't remember Judy's last name. Gee, I'm a dreadful... Judith... Anyway, she was she worked with uh, sex workers, always with and with young people right. in particular, and she taught us all how to put on a condom with our mouths ah, really? by using a banana I've as a yeah as I've an example. Heard those
0: stories, yeah, yeah.
1: and so we learned we all learned how to use condoms. And you know, it was really funny, Jeffrey, that it took a long time for me to realize that as. Um, a peer educator, uh, although I wasn't using it at the time, uh, but still as a peer educator, I felt that I was on the same level. That it, I didn't think it affected me, so I failed to
0: mm. personalize. I didn't
1: personal, I didn't internalize mm. it. I didn't say to myself that means me. My new boyfriend. I don't know where he's been. I need to make him wear a condom. Mm and and I think that probably I don't think I was alone in that I think no. that, unless you were a sex worker um or a you know I thought it meant IVDUs using sharing needles mm. right didn't occur to me that the transmission was also sexual. Sexual, So I had to think about it myself as a sexually active being, which I wasn't much at that stage, but nonetheless... It was still a risk. I wasn't using using needles either. I wasn't injecting. Mm -hmm. I wasn't using drugs at the time because it was during a period of about 16 years where I didn't use drugs. Right. But I had to acknowledge that I was a sexually active person given the opportunity, and that meant condoms had to be a feature of mm. my life and so i had to tell my boyfriend he had to use a condom because i it was in the netherlands <laughs> um did like a lead balloon the old like it's no no he actually he acknowledged that you know i mean we were talking about it and i said look the bottom line is you don't know where i've been and i don't know where yeah. you've been because you live in the netherlands and i live in australia we don't know what the other's doing unless we're being perfectly honest with each other. Um, and really, you know, fax machines had only just come in at that stage. Jeffrey. Right. I was thrilled with the advent of fax machines because it <laughs> meant 13 seconds I could have a letter to him. Yeah. And... It was, you know, so it was remarkable technology, mm. but I still hadn't grasped the context of having, of using condoms, but, and we needed to acknowledge that. Uh, one of it just quickly, Maz, one of the other things that I felt
0: disappointed was the the positive women w- were left out. Oh, yes. Bev Greet and some Greed of the, was you know, just heroic women that fought against. And
1: she stood up and was counted from day one, and she fought like, like a cat with Victorian AIDS Council for acknowledgement of women living with HIV and AIDS. Yeah. And it was just so on. Un- she was treated so badly, dismissed mm. almost. Yeah, and I've heard some awful stories. There was oh I look there were dreadful things going on up here with positive men too, I might add. Yeah. Canberra Hospital was still on the on Acton Peninsula. And I remember my friend um, Keith was admitted to Canberra Hospital and they um, reverse-barrier nursed him, right? So they stopped his infection from getting out to the rest of the hospital for crying out loud rather than stopping any further infection from getting into him. Wow. So they put on... And so on to stop themselves from getting infected by Some him. Of the it was fear horrendous. Was just, yeah,
0: horrendous,
1: yeah. Um, okay. So, Major Wen, the series shows how Australia became a world leader in its approach to HIV/AIDS with a focus on how it affected queer communities. However, you're quite active in terms of the approach taken within the sex worker community and amongst people who use drugs. Can you talk about those aspects of the crisis? Clearly, as the evidence shows, Julie says, sex workers and people who use drugs and their allies were a vital part of the response and from the earliest days of the epidemic were actively engaged in community development and forming alliances and, in the case of sex workers, reinvigorating their existing organisation with a specific focus on HIV. In fact, the birth of the harm reduction movement, as a counterbalance to the war on drugs and the susceptibility to HIV, can be traced to early activists and allies within the Australian and global drug user rights movement. And I have to say that um, Jude and you and I were part of that, Jeffrey. Um, and we should remember that and keep, you know, keep that in mind and be proud of it. It must be remembered that this was a time when sex work, or the more pejorative term, prostitution, was deemed self destructive behaviour, a form of self harm and generally a metaphor for all kinds of ills mental, moral, and physical. And the idea that you were morally ill is something that we should, we still don't acknowledge, you know, that that's why the. The antipathy about drug users exists is because of that moral failure that we are deemed to have succumbed to.
0: Morality still
1: plays such a negative role. It's horrendous, and it's the principal argument that it's the only argument that makes any sense to me. That people that says this is where I'm coming from, but people are not generally honest about it. They won't say my moral antipathy about towards intoxication Mm. is what makes me refuse to acknowledge that the change of of laws is essential to stop this stupid war on drugs anyway back to the interview with julie um it must be remembered no i did that bit the treatment of people who use drugs didn't fare any better no i didn't do that one it must be remembered this was a time when sex work or the more pejorative term prostitution was deemed to be self-destructive along with an out-of-control police force feeding off criminalization the treatment of people who used drugs didn't fare any better if you happen to belong to both camps so if you're a sex worker who used drugs you're in for a rough ride through the system. Before HIV and services like the uh, Kirkton Road Primary Health Care Centre and the AIDS Bus, the Drug User Organisation, Addict Newer, Sex Worker Organisation, the Australian Prostitutes Collective or the Sex Workers Outreach Project, the AIDS organisations Positive Life or Positive Living and the Australian Council um, in New South Wales, AIDS Council of New South Wales, and New Age Sexual Health Services, clients of caring professions were largely to be seen and not heard, like little children or, at best, admonished for their choices. There was never any notion that the person should have a voice, that they should be at the centre of any decisions relating to their health and their lives, and that services would be listening problem-solving together, sharing ideas, sitting on high-ranking government committees together and even, even working with peer-led clinical services as we have today. Memory of those times still resonate with me and why we need to shake up the caring profession to be truly caring and respectful of lifestyle and occupational choices and having a say in our treatment while working on law reform. HIV and HIV activism changed the status quo, and many health or welfare services today have consumer representation within their ranks and function within a person centred framework, which is just what Karma says in our introduction to the show, Geoffrey.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the sex workers outreach project and Newell, the New South Wales Users and AIDS Association, each continue to respond to existing and emerging issues for their constituents with substantial recurring government funding. And significantly, we saw decriminalisation in the New South Wales sex industry. There's much to be proud of. It is some of those stories I would have liked to have seen depicted. In the subject series, and I I would have liked to have seen that too, Jeff. And that's why I say it looks like it's been whitewashed. It could have been a bit more boldness. That's right. The the amount of work and the people who were involved in battling the war on drugs in order to get to drug users, so that we could legitimise peer education and harm reduction messages. People like Senator Peter Bohm, yes. who was from the Liberal Party yep. and Neil Blewett from the Labor Party, were collaborating.
0: Yeah. The bipartisanship in, to was To make sure. Crucial. It, was,
1: it was really potent stuff. Yeah. And it just proved that when you get down to the guts of it, people will out of their conscience alone yep. work together because it's not a political issue yep. it's a public health issue and
0: solve it based on evidence not That's about, right. um, And bigotry and
1: that was the whole point that it was evidence-based stuff and whenever we wanted to try and in- implement something like needle and syringe exchange programs there was always the battle where's the evidence and then when we provided the evidence it was from the united states because we didn't have an infection rate amongst injecting drug users in australia or it was something like 2% uh, really well, minimal one numbers. of the great things was not only funding of drug user groups but
0: establishing funding. nsp uh, absolutely uh, well, methadone um, the
1: ACT was uh, the first fully funded um, needle and syringe exchange program and we wrote the book basically they're um, the manager of the needle exchange program which the drug referral and information center which is now directions established in the first instance because we were funded directly from one of the beauties of working in canberra mm. is you have access to, to influence yep. yeah yeah so you you don't necessarily have the power, but you have access to influence, which, which means you can talk to the re- receptionist of the minister. Yes. <laughs> and that's how we got our funding. Indeed. So, was it anyway. Okay, Paul Gregoire's
0: last question of Julia's, And lastly, Julie, how do you consider this story reflects on the current political and social climate in this country? What could be learned from the approach of the 1980s? And Julie replies, in some regrets, I feel our progress has slowed. As a country, we've rested on our laurels, so to speak. I think that's an understatement. For instance, despite the evidence to prove the efficacy in saving lives, we only have two supervised injecting centres in the whole of Australia. On the positive side, sex work-related law reform has picked up speed with the decriminalisation of sex work in Victoria and the Northern Territory and hopefully Queensland will soon follow. Repealing the Romanian draconian laws and restrictive regulatory framework in sex work and in drug use still has a long way to go. This requires continuing advocacy for sensible public policy that requires governments to listen and learn from impacted communities that, save for a couple of exceptions, um, they mostly did through the 1980s. While it is important to learn from our past, we must remain vigilant in the present, and whenever you see ideology being used over evidence, you must call it out, as we did back then. Indeed. Yeah, that's spot on. A key Mm. lesson from our approach of the 1980s is to allow health promotion initiatives to be community-driven and for our services to be person-centred, as we say every week at the start of our intro about karma. Indeed. Perhaps if we'd taken a leaf out of our 1980s songbook, the COVID pandemic might have been better managed. Finally, for a society to be truly humane, governments must not only uh, continue to listen and learn but lead through inclusion, empowerment Accountability, courage, and humility—the mm-hmm. five best practice pillars attributed to feminist leadership.
1: Indeed, what a great piece it is! Yeah, and I—I I love that last sentence. Yeah, the feminist leadership—it's <laughs> a—it is a really potent one of the um, major um, benefits to the rise of feminist activity is the method of that the process of decision-making became as important as the outcome, Mm -hmm. as the decisions themselves, that if you did not include um, the process and include the people who were involved in the process of decision-making, then, as I said earlier on, those who um, don't, Refer to history or forget history mm. are doomed to repeat. Indeed, it. yeah, and where it comes to mistakes, that's really very true. Uh, although we tend to call them experiences, but there's a lot of stuff. There are a lot of reports, Jeffrey. Yes, a lot of evaluations, mm-hmm. many project reports, and and initiatives that were developed within within the HIV/AIDS um, pandemic have to be dragged out from the cobwebs, from mm-hmm. the mothballs yeah. and reviewed. Because otherwise, we will continue to make mistakes and to repeat the history where we have failed to achieve the desired outcome. We've only achieved a black or white yeah. outcome, either... No, this worked, but this didn't work. Mm. There's no honest evaluation of how well a project has been conducted, what we learnt that was good and what we learnt that was not so good. And there's too much division. Where is a compassionate...
0: Um, you know, Absolutely. open-minded politician. But
1: and where did the money go? And how transparent is it? And who were the best people to be involved in it, rather than let's get our mates in and do this? Well,
0: three hundred seventy billion on nuclear-powered submarines is that's a
1: beautiful could a have gone thing. to solve. And you know, three point three billion people that might be affected, that will probably be affected if we do not um, keep the temperature. Um, oh, the God. rise in temperature, rise in temperature to one point five degrees or less. I mean that's the real Over existential the next 10 threat, years, That's three point three billion people, yep. as opposed to three point five billion dollars. Do you know what i mean, manage Jeffrey? I'm that's far like a, a dollar per person, Yep. That's effectively what it is, isn't
0: it, No, so I'm far more worried about. It. Climate change. The name about China appearing
1: hordes over the horizon. One of my fears, Jeffrey. One of the reasons that I think my yeah my fear for kids having children. Yeah. Yeah, To be honest, my fear is that the world will not be in any condition to bring children into. Definitely. A, a I worry about it question. right now, let yeah. alone about next year or well, the next it's here 10 now. years. now. Climate yep. change is here now. It's happened. All right. Uh, let's go to a song. Let's do that. I think it's appropriate.
0: It's uh, Bob Mallon and the Whalers and um, Get Up, Stand Up. Yep. For Your Rights. <laughs>
3: Get up, stand up, stand up for your right Get up, stand up, stand up for your right Get up, stand up, stand up for your right Get up, stand up, don't give up the fight. Preacher man, don't tell me heaven. I know you don't know what life is really
0: Right, Bob Marley and the Whalers from their burning album and Get Up, Stand Up, and still a classic,
1: isn't it? It's wonderful. That's actually the First Nations' um, uh, call to arms for this year, I believe, Get Up, oh. Stand Up, Show Up. Well, it's appropriate, isn't it? It is, and it's very important, I think, for us too to acknowledge. You know, Fight for your rights. Come out and be part of it. Yeah. Be part of the discussion. Be part of the environment. You don't have to be a drug user to have an opinion no. on drug use um, and to debate, to be part of the discussion. It's the
0: only way things are going to change, Mary.
1: Now, one of the ways that uh, things are changing too is through harm reduction conferences. And next, uh, this year, sorry, um, the Harm Reduction International Conference that was to be held two years ago in Melbourne is to be held in uh, from the 6th to the 19th, 16th to the 19th of April. That's next month, so it's only three weeks away now. Yeah, it was good they kept it in Melbourne despite yeah. the COVID um.
0: No, dramas. I know,
1: look, it's lo- I love Melbourne. I think it's a great place yeah. to have yeah, yeah, like the, the conference anyway. Still very but fun. I remember closing down Drick and taking my whole staff to the Harmony What year to what to was, the was the that Harvard Melbourne Action conference? Because I went to that. That must have been 1980 was it eighty nine or wow. ninety one or something? It's going back. It it yeah, it was uh, but it was amazing and it certainly um it certainly showed uh, pulled the um showed the sheep's from the um walls or the <laughs> Whatever, but it yep. certainly showed who was committed to harm reduction and who was committed to having a good time. As far as the staff was concerned, very educational for me. I found out how many of my staff wanted to know about harm reduction and gave a damn and who wanted to go there because they were getting um, take a, um, a travel allowance. Yep. Anyway, the Harm Reduction International Conference to be held in Melbourne in 2023... Um, it's at the Melbourne Conference and Exhibition Centre on the sixteenth and nineteenth of April. Like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which they meet and pay respect to the five tribes of the Kulin Nation. Where they pay respect to the elders of the community and extend their recognition to their descendants. descendants. Um, and it goes on to say a vibrant, dynamic. City with a creative vibe, Melbourne is home to cutting edge arts and culture, an incredibly diverse and multicultural community with over 140 communities, 180 languages represented from across the world. It was named the world's most livable city for seven consecutive years. Wow. I wonder when that was. Yeah, the last conference I
0: went to in Melbourne was the one um, that began with the shooting down of. MH370 over oh, Ukraine. Really? Remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah a, I do. A Russian um, separatist uh, surface-to-air missile. Yes, and that a number. They didn't
1: do. Yeah. A number
0: of people were actually on their way to the conference. So, oh, it,
1: really? where oh, they, Jeffrey? It, it just put shocking. a pall over
0: the whole no. start of it, which was very sad. So, I hope nothing like that happens. Um, but one of the good things about this conference is uh, a number of staff from Karma. Will be there. Thanks, um, I'm going to record as many interviews as I can with um, activists from other countries yep. and other organisations. And uh,
1: the beauty of conferences, Geoffrey, is not necessarily in what you learn at the workshops, but who you meet and who you network with at the morning and afternoon tea and lunchtime. Yes. Because that's when you learn new stuff. Generally, by the time you get to the conference, the papers have already been presented. And you can read them and online. Pe- and, you can yep. read them online. But yep. the people that you meet and the personal personalities that are involved, particularly in harm reduction, have such good ideas and such incredible initiatives that can be adapted to use in your own location mm. um, anywhere around australia and what we have to offer to the rest of the world oh. is the ideas are just they flood yeah when you're in an environment like that because you're among people for whom you d- no longer have to justify your existence yeah. they know where you're coming you're from all working they're for all the same. there together yep um so you don't have to do the two page you know, advance notice of I'm an injecting drug user, and I and go through your whole um, identity and why you exist in the planet in the first place. That's yep. all taken for granted. Yep. Your existence and your profile and your the reality of life is taken for granted.
0: I've always felt the harm reduction international conferences um, always pay proper attention to drug users it's yep. not just ticking a box or put a five minute thing somewhere right. you know out in the sticks it's actually yep. front and center and uh sioni's a keynote uh speaker of oh, the, good. chris is speaking uh dave speaking about Karmas naloxone program right. i think i'm speaking for five minutes um but you know there's a lot of yep. um peers
1: that look jeff there's so much that we, uh, that that we all still have to offer, you know, that service providers all still have to offer, peer educators still have to offer. There's such a lot. I mean, I would love to be there and to talk to the people from Canada, for instance, to find out how their stuff's going over there, yeah. how they're um, getting their involvement in every I mean they're demanding things in Canada, you know, in Vancouver just, and in Columbia. They're in just DC. exhausted by
0: the amount of deaths, it's an, Marin. No, oh, it yes. It's just
1: And I but it's amazing too that that they have such um potency, mm. you know, and importance and that's acknowledged yeah. among with the government. Because of those deaths, they've needed to draw in drug users to say what are we yes. going to do yeah, we're yeah. at a loss yeah. now how potent is that acknowledgement that they are at a loss
0: well how much do you care government? about your own citizens that's what i always it's say.
1: really Im- yeah, yeah i think i'm just stunned by it i would love to see that anyway i'll rely on you to bring me back Stories of that, please.
0: I'll get as many as I can. Okay, I might play another uh, track. It's the old Australian band Spectrum and I'll be gone.
1: Oh, great.
0: Spectrum. I'll be gone. Wow, have heard that for a while. I've heard
1: that, and it's a great song. It is a great we had song. some good bands in those days. We Jeffrey. did.
0: Okay, it's eleven thirty-seven. Yeah. Uh, you're on listening to Two Double ninety-eight point three, uh, People Powered Radio. This is news from the drug war front. Just before we go into a story about um, Jamaica, there's an alert notice that's come out of Can Test. Um, yes. Look, I won't read out all the details because it's very um, <laughs> complex uh, sounding. Well, a
1: bit hard. to Pronounce um, it anyway. A bit for hard to
0: fluo-amphetamine and twenty five C N bomb E. But anyway, the details will be on um, Karma's website, and it's just another. Um, if we didn't didn't need any more evidence of the success of the Can Test Health and Drug Checking Service, yes, in, it's in, in finding out. <laughs> What's in Drugs in the Black Market?
1: That's right. And um, this is being um, marketed as an MDMA drug, is it? Um, or MDMA-like drug? I, I thought, thought it, it might have been a
0: ketamine type thing. I, I spoke to Mitch about it yesterday, but this isn't really my area of expertise. Okay. But if, if you're into those type of drugs, check out the Karma website, which is just, yeah, go yes, to i
1: rep- I've got the reports of it, and it, it's... Um, It's the second of. It might be. uh, Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's one of those drugs that because it's on the black market, you don't know what's in it. Yeah. And I've just twigged to me yesterday. I don't know why I didn't think about it before. The amount of the drugs that you have to submit for testing, particularly when it comes to heroin, Jeffrey, we're talking about
0: a point. Yeah.
1: For eighty dollars for one point, right? Or oh, right. Point to, one, to buy. Okay? Yeah. so to actually put, give some of that to um, the drug testing people, drug checking people is actually to make a hole, quite a substantial hole in your deal.
0: It's actually a really it's small quite, amount. I and know I, it's a really yeah, small amount. But people amount. worry. Yeah.
1: I still think yeah. that you're talking about uh, when 0.1 of a gram is a very small amount and that's $80, Yeah, which is probably why they're not getting... A large number of heroin. I think we need to rethink citizens, yeah. the uh,
0: information that's put out.
1: How yeah, how it's from, how did the ser- how the service is promoted, and how much it actually requires. But don't. But that put you off the can no. test unfortunately it's only six hours a week which is yeah uh, and Thursday, it's really important
0: but it's it's awesome anyway we've got a piece from Jamaica which um Marion uh, caught her eye how Jamaica's medical cannabis market abandons traditional
1: farmers which I think it's just horrifying so I think we really need to talk about this because it's important
0: yeah it's from filtermag.org the landscape of Jamaica's uh, medical cannabis industry may be shifting. After a Canadian company recently exported cannabis into Jamaica, undercutting the already limited local market, while still not allowing Jamaica to export its own products into Canada, mm. quote, uproar from local ganja farmers compelled legislators to make promises of long overdue regulatory reforms, according to the Jamaica Observer. Mm. It's yet to see whether those promises are kept. Gunja is deeply rooted in Jamaica's history and culture, but it is not legal. The country legalised medical cannabis and decriminalised possession under two ounces back in 2015, after more than a century of prohibition that saw the plant weaponized to silence and disenfranchise dissenters. The 2015 Dangerous Drugs Amendment Act still left it up to police discretion
1: to decide whether or not to find those found in possession of under two ounces. And we know how potent discretionary action by the police can be. I thought, and so we know damaging. how potent. Jamaican ganja, yeah, Well, that <laughs> you see, too. those
0: Rastafarians, you know. Well,
1: it, if you look at Bob Marley, and he was persecuted virtually yeah. by the police because he was a blatant ganja smoker.
0: Yeah, yeah. Rastafarian. And
1: because he was Rastafarian, and it's part of the culture mm. of Rastafarianism.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, I was working in Jamaica in 2015, shortly after the new legislation was enacted. I read in a local newspaper about medical cannabis partnerships with the United States. The article was full of promises about how the enterprise would benefit Jamaican society, mm. creating job opportunities and reinvesting profits in the country's education and research sectors. I showed it to an elderly Rastafarian friend who'd been incarcerated on cannabis distribution charges back in the 80s. He sure. was not moved by the prospect of lucrative deals between wealthy CEOs <laughs> and other wealthy CEOs. Indeed. Who would be getting uh, the Grow permits? Not he who considered a gunga a sacrament for his body and soul and spent years locked behind bars for it. Someone else would be allowed into this new market to profit off his
1: work. That's horrible. Reparations is not broached in those discussions. The subject is too fraught. In the eight years since, the Jamaican government has invested heavily in its medical cannabis industry while leaving the Rastafarian and other traditional ganja farmers behind. The Cannabis Licensing Authority has made gestures towards lowering the barriers to local farmers entering the industry, but has yet to actually do so. Reparations is not broached. In discussions of cannabis regulation, the subject has been too fraught in the context of the government paying reparations to survivors of the 1963 Coral Gardens Massacre, and thus legislators avoid mentioning it. Policies that should include social equity provisions are, in fact, creating a new landscape of inequality as legacy farmers are cut out of the market. The regulations for farming medical cannabis are strict and onerous, and the cultivation for non-medical, non-scientific use remains criminalised. The only other place growers can turn to is the religious market, which is small and not particularly profitable. Commercial regulation models that include social equity provisions like those being implemented in New York may have their faults, but in Jamaica such provisions have yet to appear at all. Gunja farmers need legislation that creates opportunities for those subjected to criminalisation in the past and makes bank loans accessible to ease the cost burden of turning their traditional work into a licensed business. US partners subject uh, subject Jamaican banks to onerous regulations they claim are unnecessary precautions against money laundering and funding terrorist activities oh, God Jamaican <laughs> banks have long relied on partnerships with federally related regulated US banks those US partners in their obsession with stamping out so-called drug trafficking, subject t- Jamaican banks to onerous regulations that they claim are necessary precautions. The same thing oh, against yeah. money laundering and funding terrorist oh, activity. of course they are. No one they're. was the heading, and that's the traditional farmers do not have the resources to navigate the process of getting a loan, which means their only option is to partner with partner with foreign investors. This can bring them certain benefits, access uh, to larger export markets and established infrastructure, but often leaves them vulnerable to exploitative terms from predatory investors. It also allows foreign partners to insist on the cultivation of non-Jamaican cannabis, threatening the preservation of local strains. At whatever point the US legalises cannabis at the federal level, Jamaica will likely follow. As the Jamaican government navigates the evolving, evolving regulatory landscape, it's imperative that it work in collaboration with traditional farmers. Only then will any equity provisions actually be successful in practice. Without such measures... Jamaica's ganja and its custodians will continue to be gentrified by tourists and foreign entrepreneurs. That's a really sad story. It is. Isn't it it just and that last sentence just means they'll be ripped off. Yep. Again,
0: it's been such a huge part of their culture.
1: Absolutely. What was that film
0: that was made with Jimmy Cliff doing the music famous movie? Um,
1: yeah, it, um. uh,
0: was it, was I don't it, know. You're, yeah, I can't you're remember it either. Asking
1: but me to use my memory, which is um, <laughs> the music erratic was awesome. at best. Yeah, the music I remember, um, but the not the names of the movies. No, it was a. Um, it's just an intriguing thing that they would in a place where it's been a, you know a religious cultural Social, cultural yeah uh, and. Community-based, mm. Um you know, it's a it's a matter for not just using for yourself, but a matter of social connection. Yeah, for spirituality. Users. Yeah, um, absolutely. Consciousness raising, self-con, yeah, yeah, self-conscious, self-awareness. It's really important part of their culture. Yeah, and it's just horrifying to think of. I j- I just picture fat Men smoking Cuban cigars. I'm sorry, just—that's what it brings to mind. I'm horrified by the prospect.
0: All right, I thought I might um, bang in uh, the Whalers. I shot the sheriff. Why as, not? As uh, appropriate I'd like you to, to that shoot story. The yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Be a few of them. it out. Um, I Shot the Sheriff. Um, Yes, we we got that, really, didn't we? we (laughs)
1: They they keep on repeating it
0: a bit. We we got some feedback from one of our regular listeners that said the film that we were trying to remember is The Harder They Come.
1: Thanks, Jack. So thank you, Jack. Yeah,
0: Classic movie. Um, We're just going to try and whip through a last story about a fake eyelash remover that's been used as a party drug. It's been delisted from Amazon after a ban at Sydney World Pride. um, Mm. Police have confiscated bottles of drug known as GBL, which can be sold under a loophole for industrial purposes. It's been removed from sale on Amazon. The ban was due to people using the product uh, as a party drug known as GBL, which is a precursor to GHB, colloquially known as G. GBL strength and absorption can differ from GHB, meaning the quantity quantity people take for the same effect can be highly variable leading to potential risk of overdose. GBL is either criminalised directly as a drug of dependence or as a precursor, meaning importation, supply or possession is an offence. However, it is allowed in preparation for industrial purposes, said criminal justice researcher Gerald Jared Bartle.
1: Guardian Australia understands police confiscated the bottles from attenders and issued court notices during World Pride events. However, New South Wales Police would not confirm how many had been issued at the time of reporting. On Wednesday, Amazon removed the product from sale and a spokesperson said that the product had only been available through a third-party seller, not Amazon directly. Of course not. It wasn't me. Quote, the third party sellers are independent businesses and are required to follow all applicable laws, regulations and Amazon policies when listing items for sale in our store, the spokesperson said. Uh, we have been proactive we have proactive measures in place to prevent prohibited products from being listed and we continuously monitor monitor our store. Those who violate our policies are subject to action, including potential removal of their account. But Bartle said the product being allowed for industrial purposes meant it was operating in a loophole. Quote, Where loopholes exist for party drugs, users will generally take advantage of them. We saw similar patterns when alcohol alcohol nitrates, or poppers, were able to be sold in commercial preparations, he said. And, quote, it's important to recognise the limits of criminalisation in deterring recreational drug use and to prioritise harm reduction and safer use education when it comes to party drugs. And if they had drug checking there, as it was recommended, but Gladys Berejiklian said, no, 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 no not Absolutely in the United no. States. No. 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 Uh, It came as the AIDS Council of New South Wales, or ACON, had warned people last week to be wary of the products. Quote, "'We've been made aware that cosmetic products containing a high concentration of GBL are circulating in the community. If you plan to use GHB or GBL this weekend, be mindful that this source of GBL has caused some overdose incidents.' Akon said in a social media post, "Isn't it amazing what things can be used?" Uh, well, yes, and it's uh, amazing, you know, that the loopholes exist oh, look. and will remain like until somebody highlight. Yeah, yeah it's until somebody highlights it, and suddenly they'll just cover up that loophole and then open up another one. You know? Exactly. Suddenly they'll become a manufacturer who needs the fake eyelash remover for. Removing fake eyelashes.
0: Just one last mm-hmm. thing to remind people of, Carmen's um, got this new excellent piece of kit called the Bone <laughs> Finder or veinoscope, Indeed. And um, Pete is uh, hoping to have a preference for people to come in and uh, use it and try it out and search for functioning veins uh, after lunch on a Monday. And but anyway, if, time if you're it, interested yeah. in... Uh, Talking about it. Look, if
1: you want to find viable veins, and let's face it, anybody who's been injecting for any period of time will be having trouble finding viable veins or veins that work and do not pop or leave blisters or sores on your hands or your arms or on the rest of your body, wherever a vein appears to exist, go and use the veinoscope. Yep. Have a look, find out where the viable veins are, draw a picture of your body or take a photo of it and draw on the photo where the viable veins are and use that as a reference point so that you know where you can inject safely and get a vein and not an artery because I can tell you That'll that mistake well. hurts. Yep. So give Karma a call
0: on 6253-3643 okay. to make inquiries or book a time. Well, thank you, Maren. I hope listeners found some of those stories. I really enjoyed the Julie oh, Bates the um, interview, piece. that was great
1: and, and it's lovely to hear from Julie. And I hope you're listening, Julie, because big shout-out to you and yes. to Mary. Yeah. Um It's lovely to hear of you and I love the picture of you, by the way. With that goes with the article. Yeah. It's a really attractive a picture. I haven't seen you for so long, Julie. So yeah. um, I hope you're listening today. Or on the podcast.
0: Really good stuff.
1: And lovely to be with you this week, Jeffrey. And I'll see you next week.
0: Likewise, Maz. Take care everyone. We'll yeah, you we love
1: you and look after Brown. yourselves,
0: please. Yeah. See you later. Yeah, take care, everyone. Bye for now.
1: Bye. Mm-hmm.
4: through the ages she's heading west, from far away, stays for a day, never a frown with a